0: Welcome to the Business Kids Podcast. We talk to real people, not their job titles. Let's get straight to business. Today we are joined by Anika Peng. How are you?
1: Hi, everyone. I'm good. How are you both?
0: Great. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: great to be here.
0: Well, Glad you're here you. too. So I guess we can jump straight into our first question then. Let's do it. So we
2: know that you're a very... Uh, outgoing person, one with many different talents and many, has been through many different positions and experiences. So if you could just kind of like, I guess, introduce yourself, kind of where you're at right now in life and things like that, just kind of a, a small brief overview of who Anika is.
1: Yeah, okay. Sure. That sounds good. So I'm a graduate of Schulich as of the last couple of months, which is super exciting. Just finished off my BBA degree studying accounting and marketing. And outside of that, I've been very involved with student life, with UBS in particular, and a couple of other clubs at like. So I have a huge soft spot, soft spot for Shulik and for everyone that's involved with clubs and student life and things of that nature. <laughs> I love initiatives like this too, because I think it's so great to connect students, especially during virtual years and such an unprecedented time. So these things are really exciting to me as well.
2: So uh, before we start, with more of like the nitty gritty stuff, I would just want to ask you, uh, many of us, including myself, and any other 2022s or 2021s know you as uh, Anika Peng, at least from this uh, year, as the UBS president from uh, 2019. And we know, or at least I know personally, that you had quite an interesting path to get to that position right there. So if you'd like, can you just explain how exactly you went from, you know, maybe having the idea or this, passionate about maybe becoming the UBS president at some point and then solidifying it and making it a reality.
1: 100%. So I I started off being a really shy kid in first year. Didn't really want to talk to anyone. Didn't really hang out with a lot of people just because I was very to myself. I lived in residence, napped a lot. I always tell people that. And Schulich is just such a great environment to get involved with different things. And I started doing that, I think, right after first year. And I started to fall in love with the people, the community. And realized what a great support system Schulich really was and how encouraging everyone especially the upper years were so it really exposed me to a lot of different opportunities especially frosh which is where i got really connected with ubs in third year i became the orientation chair for schulich and that was my first time really engaging with something that was really high level one of the biggest events that we hold as a as a school and connected myself with york university a lot more and i got to know exact what I could do as an individual at this school and all the different things that make up not just Schulich, but York University. So learning all of that and really wanting to be a part of it on a bigger scale encouraged me to run for presidency. And I've talked a lot about it when I was running, but I had so many things I want to change and it required more than just conversations within Schulich. And I'm happy to say a year after, now that I'm done my presidency, I have been really proud of myself and my team and the different things we've been able to do because Schulich and York really gave me those opportunities to step up and advocate for things like mental health and, and academics and student initiatives. So that's been a really important aspect of becoming president as well.
0: So, with all these big things that you've done, and I guess, like, you know, not many people get to be UBS president. So, I guess the question is, what are some of the like you mentioned, these initiatives that you did, some of your favorite parts of having the position, I guess, you know, other than working with the uh, IBBA first year rep, Azus, what are, what are some of your favorite parts alongside Oh, part. <laughs> uh,
1: Specifically with UBS? Yeah. yeah, so I think one of the things is to get the connection to all these external uh, committees or groups, for example, with, with FROSH, I get involved with the other presidents and the other O chairs, with some of the faculty and admin, I get involved on their committees as well. And as president, you just get to sit on so many different committees and groups across the university and even in Canada to really be able to advocate for your students. So those things have been really cool because what you learn from that is that you see how the system works, you see how the school works, how academic appeals are done. And it helps you then relay that information to students that are struggling in those areas. Um, I myself as a student prior to UBS have gone through appeals and not understanding that and not having any students be able to relay things of that nature to me was very difficult. And then becoming president and having those knowledge, that knowledge to share with everyone was very important and helped me be able to benefit the student community a little more so that was one of my favorite parts about being president and then also mental health being able to sit on a committee the year before with a bunch of UBS representatives and then being able to create a mental health week it really required the support of not only my team last year but also all these external parties especially admin that helped facilitate and support that on on their channels as well so things like that would be I say a highlight of being able to connect with these groups as president.
0: I guess alongside your like favorite things and the like pleasurable experiences, what's something you would have been doing differently if you had the chance to do the position again?
1: I like that question a lot. I think everyone usually goes into presidency thinking they have a million things that they want to do and so many different projects. And although 12 months seems like a really long time, I think I was really ambitious in the beginning and I really wish I would have honed in on some of the more important focuses that I had so that they might've been able to deliver a little bit better. Um, I think that's my biggest thing is understanding that time, it takes a lot of time for every project that we do as a team and every initiative that I wanted to do, I may not have been able to tackle as well, just because I was so looking forward to just doing everything on my list. So I would have rerouted my time a little and just changed up what I prioritized at the beginning of my term.
0: Yeah, and make sure not to spread yourself thinner.
2: Exactly. That's a big one. Now, let's just kind of uh, shift gears into something that's a little bit more uh, recent, which is that obviously you graduated uh, this year and moving away from being a UBS president, but now to become the CAPS president uh, (laughs) recently, which is, first of all, congratulations. Um, It is a very big accolade. So I just wanted to ask you, how did you get involved in such a position and how did you know Like when did you know you wanted such a position and how was the process of getting there?
1: Yeah, for sure. So with CABS um, stands for the Canadian Association of Business Students. Uh, Schulich itself is a member school in particular UBS. And so what that means is we get to participate in their conferences, uh, their charitable initiatives, as well as JDCC, which is one of the most notable uh, competitions at Schulich. And so after being a part of JDCC the year before, and then, also jumping into UBS presidency, I got to interact with almost every aspect of CABs last year. What was really great is it, it expanded my personal network. I have presidents all across Canada that I reached out to throughout the year. They were my support system, and that was really awesome to see. And as the year went on and I realized how much work and effort it took to put all that together, I really like admired and appreciated the people behind the scenes. So understanding a little bit more about CABs on the back end helped me envision how I could have been a part of that and how I could also facilitate some of those things that they did for us as UBS or BSA presidents throughout Canada. So that was how I understood cabs a little bit better. And then into the year, I want to say maybe in the fall of last year, almost a year ago, I got into the conversation about running for cabs and just like a position in general, not presidency necessarily, but as time went on, it just, it fit really well. That was the position I wanted. And I had a vision for exactly how I wanted CAPS to go. So I ran, I also ran with a lot of my really good friends because they were all BSA presidents last year. And we all, we all won the elections. It was a a whole platform that we had to create and then presenting to all the presidents at the last conference we had back in February. And this was pre-pandemic. So we thought it was going to be a regular year. A lot of good things happening. And we had all these great plans and I I still think they're awesome, but we had to to shift everything. I want to say the month after, because we all got home and the pandemic was in full swing. Everyone was in quarantine. And so a lot of things have changed since, but the vision and, and the team have been very, very strong and still be able to produce the work that we wanted to produce. So very glad that I got that opportunity, but it was a hundred percent like a full year plan just to get to the point yeah. I'm at right now.
2: It wasn't like one day you woke up, you're like, oh, I'm gonna be the president of <laughs> CABS type of thing.
1: It's it's <laughs> definitely a lot more work to to just go on and take on because it's not so it's, it's a volunteer job essentially and it does take up quite a bit of my time. But I really like what the organization does and I like what it stands for. So knowing that and feeling my passion that way has been helpful even though it's a, a volunteer position.
2: Position. Um, now that you mentioned like how did, how you went into cabs and your thought process behind it, I just wanted to ask you uh, what, as a, as a cabs president right now, what are your oh. responsibilities and what do you do usually on a daily basis?
1: Yeah. So with presidency, it's a lot about supporting my team. I have seven other VPs. We also have the board that we report to, and we also have directors. So different levels within cabs with the board specifically, a lot of my job has to has to do with making sure that the committees are running well, that we're operating well and have a financially good standing as an organization. A lot of the administrative work I also deal with. And then as of a month or two ago, because one of my VPs had to step down, I also took on the responsibility of doing a lot of the conferences work as well. So it has become a little more difficult taking on a second role, but really just making sure that my team's still able to run and support them even though there's a pandemic year and we did lose one member of our team. Um, so in, in a greater sense, it's really just making sure that the Cavs team survives this year and continues on to have progress for the next year to continue building on.
2: Well, I mean, if you got, if you, your team got the position, I'm pretty sure it must be for a reason, right? And I'm pretty sure you, you guys will be able to adapt and overcome all of this, you know, turmoil that you guys are going through. So you know, I feel like you guys will do
0: more than fine. <laughs>
1: I'm hoping. I think it's going super well, though. I I couldn't have asked for a better team this year.
0: One question I had, like, not exactly on cabs, but we know that, you know, you've held, like, a lot of positions as prez and now cabs prez and, you know, other jobs and clubs and things along the line. And I know that generally there's kind of the idea that, you know, first year to fourth year, you're kind of looking to just build, build, build show off who you are, have a resume to show to companies, recruiters, and the likes. So just curious on what's your opinion on choosing experiences and positions that you want to get involved with? Like, Do you believe in taking positions just to add them to your resume and, oh, this will look good for recruiters? Or do you believe in more, hey, I love this. I'm going to do this. If I don't, I'm not going to get involved.
1: Good question. I think it goes back to what you're trying to test out what you like, and then figuring out what your next steps are in terms of a career. What I mean by that is when you're in first and second year, I find that a lot of people don't know exactly what they're passionate in and they just want to do something. They want to get involved. They don't know what that means. So I know for me in first year, I was applying to every single thing. I was trying to be a first year rep for every club. And it was mainly because like, the the environment just pushes you to do all of those things. Um, But as you get into second or third or even fourth year, you realize where your passions really are, especially what you're interested in doing work for, because all these positions on clubs require so much time and energy and effort. And they're also volunteer positions that it's almost hard to do something just for the resume. And so With that in mind, I think that it becomes more important that it's something that you actually care about and have a personal stance on. Otherwise, you're going to be burnt out every other month just trying to figure out how to continue supporting your team without letting them down, but also not feeling the energy to continue if you don't actually like what you're doing. Um, So I think that answers your question, but it's really about where you are in life and how certain you are about the things that you're trying to commit to.
2: It's just dipping your toe into water every now and then into different things and then finding yeah. your passion type of thing.
1: Exactly. And some people figure out right off the bat. And so that's great. Like if in first year, you know exactly what you want to do, kudos to you, go for it. But for me, it took me like two years before I was like, okay, I think I want to settle into this and I want to pursue this. Hmm.
2: I think like that okay, brings so us that, to... Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, go
0: ahead. <laughs> you, you, you sound like you know what you're talking about more.
2: I, <laughs> I just wanted to ask, like I feel like this whole thing that you said about If you know what you want to do, kudos to you. I feel like that segues our well into our next question, which is, um, we know that you went to Mary Ward school uh, for high school. I did. I know that uh, many people during their high school years kind of have an idea about what they want to do. Maybe they want to do sciences. Maybe they want to do something else. Uh, Going into grade nine or 10, did you have a a basic overview of why you wanted to go into business or were you kind of, as you said, dipping your toe in the water into other uh, aspects of other careers?
1: I think when I started off high school, I had no idea what I was trying to do. Um, I remember even up until my final year in high school, I was still exploring a bunch of different options just because I hadn't settled on specific schools or any programs like that. And at the end, I was debating between architecture and business school, which I think are wildly different. Um, Yeah, Those two were my options and I really liked architecture, but I Fell in love with DECA. I'm sure y'all have heard of DECA before. Um, That one's almost in every high school. And that's kind of how I got my foot into business and got really into, okay, I like the pressure and the stress that comes with it. It's a lot, but it's fun. And I like that a lot more than all the design and and the science behind architecture, which I wasn't super down for. And that's how I I ended up in business school. But it it was a long journey. I think I was thinking that through the whole four years I was in high school.
2: Now that we mentioned DECA and you mentioned... I'm pretty sure, DECA, you did a lot of case comps and things like that. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I know that in Shulik, you do a lot of case comps as well. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you, what were some of your favorite takeaways from like the different case comps that you did in Schulich and DECA or any other experiences that you had in them?
1: Yeah. So in university specifically, I did DECA as well at a university level. I've done case comps with UBS. I'm sure you've heard of Rise or Spark, things of those nature, and then even JDCC, which I think... It's probably the biggest competition I was a part of. Um, And all of those things that I did were, they were all very different in terms of how the case was structured. Some of them are time, some of them are you prepare beforehand and you show up. Um, And those different experiences have helped me gain the skills I needed to, to do well in everything that I was doing, especially when it comes to public speaking or being able to think on my feet. DECA was definitely one of those that you get, I think it was like a 10 minute case and then you have to present. You're almost like thinking on the spot at that point. JDCC, you're creating like a whole PowerPoint deck before you present in three hours. And all of those things helped me understand timing and figuring out what I could do in specific segments of time and being able to prepare those things. So it's cool to see that And every case comp, I take away something new and figure out something that I can do better, which is always the best way to, uh, to excel in a case come whether you win or not.
0: So I guess like a lot of people coming from high school or newer students will probably know what DECA is because it's basically, I guess, the gateway to business students for uh, it's the gateway drug for business in high school. But <laughs> could you explain quickly, like just for people who aren't aware, what is JDCC?
1: Yeah, for sure. So it stands for Genekomara Central. And so the JDCC competition is honestly, so many aspects. Well, will break it down. It's four different disciplines. So there's academic, debate, social, and sports. Academic is your typical, you get a case, pressure tank for three hours, and you have to solve it with your team. You present a new slide deck that you've created, a new solution to judges. And that's kind of how all the academic cases work. With debate, it's almost like you're, I haven't done debate personally, but I've watched it happen. You're debating random topics that they give you, and they give you a side if you're Pro the issue or the other side, and you figure out how the how to best convince everyone that your side's correct. Basically, as a regular debate would be. Um, and I know what's really fun about them too is the second that they get to the final round, they get all these costumes, and it's it's super fun. On the JDCC level, with social, you're doing things like improv, a lot of different skits, also thinking on your on your feet a lot, but not on the same sense of an academic case. It's more fun you're usually in costumes Um, I know one of my friends did it last year they were doing accents all the time I could never but it's just really fun to watch and lastly is sports so there's always one regular sport that you're familiar with so things like basketball or volleyball and then they'll throw in like a really random sport as the second one which is could be anything from like European handball trying to think what other ones have existed Honestly you don't remember, but they're they're just interesting sports to to make sure that no one has an advantage in being the best player. It's just like everyone has the same kind of foundation in those sports. I think JDCC is good for school spirit too. They bring together your whole delegation together is like 45, 50 people, and you're, you know, you're screaming cheers, you're dressed up in Shulik gear. And it's just a lot of Shulik sh- pride, which I think yeah. is so fun to see in action. It's like Frosh 2.0 is like how I used to phrase it.
2: If you were to, um, like, jump into one of – because you did – I'm pretty sure you did academics from what we've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Have you done, like, the improv one? I have
1: not, personally. I could never excel in that, but Schulich has won in the past two years, and it's fun to see that happen. Yeah, they came in first.
2: So out of the four categories, which one is one of them, besides, obviously, improv one, which one is one that you would like to try? Like, say you were able to go back and attend one of them.
1: I feel like, so I guess my answer just now doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I feel like if I really push myself out of the box, like I would Mm -hmm. really want to excel in social because I think anyone who does that has just the most energy and they're so, they're such quick thinkers. It's just just so cool to see. I think that one would be potentially second. I just know for a fact it wouldn't be sports. Like Sports (laughs) is completely out of my league, but debate or social are, are fine. Those would be interesting for me to be a part of.
0: Mm. Did you play any sports when you were growing up?
1: Badminton, but I wasn't really good. I just, I just played a lot, which is kind of sad.
0: You don't <laughs> have to say that, you know. No one That's knows. You can say out. you were really good.
2: Yeah, you could just you say you're amazing.
0: I'm a just pro player. People. We heard yeah, you were really good at badminton. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Let's just cut this. Let's just
0: cut. cut. No. Go. cut.
2: <laughs> Go. So we heard you're amazing at badminton. How's that? <laughs>
0: a
1: hundred percent
0: amazing <laughs> yeah. amazing so i guess on case comps um how do you pick your teams like how do you choose who you're gonna do things with
1: that's such a that's such a good question i definitely didn't know how to do this in first and second year because you usually just do it with your best friends or the people yeah. that've been around you at the time which can work out sometimes but um what i've noticed in recent years is if i'm picking a team to do a case comp with we always have to have different skill sets. Otherwise it's almost like you're just doing the same thing as the other person. Whereas if everyone's in a different industry thinking a little bit differently or they're just different learners, then you're picking up on different facts and being able to put in details on your solution that are unique. And I think that's been really successful for me. Um, The last case comp I did actually wasn't even JDCC. It was live at University of Toronto. I did it with um, three of my friends and we were all studying different topics in school. And we all had different skill sets. My friends were really good at creating PowerPoints. Some of them were just really good at public speaking. And then putting those things together helped us podium. So that that was a good experience. And learning that everyone needs to bring something unique to the table is a really important part of having a good team.
0: So, so say- Gentlemen, you heard Anika. Don't work with your friends. Exactly. You never do it. Hot takes. Hot takes. You cut them off.
1: Unless it's stuff that you're not good at, then why not?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So say, for example, okay, you got the perfect team. You got a public speaker. You got someone that's good with data analytics. Yeah. Um, What's your approach then? Like you get the case. How do you make sure that the wheels are turning properly? You know, because then everyone has the different things to offer, right? So how do you make sure that they're all maximized properly?
1: For every case comp that I did in third and fourth year, I made sure that my team's prepped beforehand. Because I, okay. I didn't want to waste anyone's time. So you almost, I think for a we did like five or six practice rounds and we had to figure out every single time a new strategy and figure out what works best. Practice mm-hmm. always makes perfect. If you just throw yourself into a pressure tank, it just might not work out. Because um, there's so many elements, so many factors to who works best and what type of time crunch. And then, there's always someone that needs to be checking the time and make sure everyone's still on the right track. So making sure the person that ends up doing that for your actual competition is capable of doing so, things like that. So I would say practice before the actual competition and you should be good.
2: Okay, noted. I did a case competent practice. You know, we got that last. So that's probably good advice. Next time. Next time.
0: You <laughs> got dead last.
2: I'm pretty sure. Actually,
0: uh, Mo, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry left. I doxed all of us. <laughs> No one cut this bit and put in the highlight reel. Jesus yeah. got dead last in a case competition. Not the second, oh, no, not, not, not not podium, but actually the last place.
1: That's <laughs> like a worthy note.
0: <laughs> Yo, that's actually a resume thing. That's an interview thing, Zeus. You tell them that you overcame the adversity since coming dead last, you know? Exactly. Girl, you it's a come like up things. story. It's that underdog story.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> After coming dead last, we now came third last in our next one. <laughs> Let's get it.
1: Character progression.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. We can shift gears a little bit right now. So we talked about school, but now you are graduated. So mm-hmm. we want to talk about your work. Right now you are working in risk assurance. What does that mean?
1: I So I started risk assurance last summer, just to clarify. And then I'm starting again in September or actually later on in the fall. But... With risk assurance, it's a, it's a branch out of accounting and audit specifically. I'm working at PwC. So a lot of what I do is dealing with clients' internal controls, uh, looking at what they have in place to make sure everything that they're recording and people who have access to things are appropriate and making sure that those things are tested often. I know it sounds like a lot of Data and not super fun, but it, it's interesting to see the different clients and how they approach these different problems in their organizations. So seeing that and being able to be the one that tests it gives me a lot of experience jumping into their specific industries and how they operate.
0: Now, as I guess your first big position coming out of university, where do you want to go from here? I again, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask this, to everyone, I'm going to ask this interview question: Where do you see <laughs> yourself in five years? Like some garbage <laughs> like that, but. Where do, you, where do you see yourself, you know, further down the line in your career? What's your dream job?
1: That's a big question. <laughs> With accounting in particular, uh, anyone that's going into big four normally is doing their CPA. So that's something I'm doing. I'm starting that actually tomorrow. I'm going to be studying for the next couple of years to to essentially, hopefully, obtain my CPA in 2022 or 2023. Um, After that, I'm not sure. I think there's a part of me that thinks I might stay with PwC and continue to grow because I like the idea of being able to work hard in our organization until I'm completely satisfied with the work I've done and like the amount of growth I've had personally. Outside of that, though, I I think one day I really want to start my own business and be an entrepreneur. Um, I've always loved that business industry and Knowing that it's a little risky means that I probably need to save up and be a little more experienced before I jump into that field. But it's always something that I've I've looked into and am wanting to pursue in
0: the future. What kind of field do you think you want to go into with like uh, starting your own business? Yeah.
1: I think it really depends what my skill set is when by the time I'm ready to do this. But for me, I've really wanted to start my own events agency and really be able to produce events. Um, whether that's things like conferences or being able to develop like formal events. And a lot of that comes from my love of creating events for Shoolik and a lot of student life events because I'd never thought that that could be a job. And I realized events agencies are a thing and they sometimes do really interesting pop ups for corporate companies or they work with personal clients. And that's a lot of creativity. So it almost ties back some of the things I really loved in high school and university into. Um, everything else that I've been studying and although it's not specifically accounting I think accounting in my CPA is going to help a lot in that field and making sure that I'm doing the right things throughout throughout the business
2: speaking of uh, events f-up nights I know that you're a very (laughs) you're a very passionate advocate uh bleep up nights uh so you know (laughs) I know that you uh when i was when i uh, spent time with ubs i know that you were a very passionate advocate about it and you make sure that people knew about it because you were very passionate about their uh like overall message so yeah. if you could just kind of explain to the uh, listeners kind of what it is and uh maybe your favorite memories and experiences from that
1: Yeah. So with the organization, what they do is they hold these monthly events. Um, This is obviously pre-COVID, but we used to do monthly events and they brought out speakers that would talk about their failures in the entrepreneurship field. And what's really good about that is that this industry is, there's a lot of failures, but there's also a lot of learning and growth. And I think sometimes when you're diving into that industry, you really need to have some of that support so that you know, okay, even if this doesn't work out, you can always pivot. You can always find a different direction. And so every month there would be these really interesting speakers and they would all have very different stories and different walks of life. And they always brought something new to the table. So that was really fun to see. And for myself particularly, because I knew I was interested in it, working there was very fun and it helped me gain a lot of insight. And that's ultimately what the organization was meant to do outside of that though I helped them with marketing I helped them with kind of event recording some of their like snapchat or sorry Instagram stories I would help out with to make sure that people were engaging via social media as well so that was a lot of fun and it helped me continue some of my marketing stuff but I also got a sense of event creation because it was all monthly events a lot of cool stuff there
0: another question that I was just I had about this was um, we know you're on marketing for uh, <laughs> up nights and uh, you're also part of the ASEC team for marketing, and then VP of marketing, and then B two B marketing. And y- you're going into, you know, your CPA right now. You said you're going to go into, you're considering going into architecture earlier. What's your, uh, what's your relationship with marketing? You dipping your toes in, or what's going on with that?
1: <laughs> I think marketing's always been interesting. Um, coming from someone who wanted to be an architect at some point i had to be a little bit creative so coming into business uh, i wasn't necessarily immediately gravitated towards accounting or finance marketing was 100 percent my go-to for the first couple of years and i was very lucky to s- secure a lot of jobs in that field i um, not the exact same marketing field i've done pr i've done account management um, social media digital marketing but it was interesting to see how different organizations funnel their marketing in these different areas and that's kind of how I got to know it a little bit more. And I think some of the Shula classes also helped me understand how marketing works in the real life, real world and how companies like to interact with marketers. So that's how I got to know that aspect of business. But why I continue it and why I've been so involved with marketing is because I think it's fun. A lot of it's very intuitive to me. And I like being creative in places where sometimes you don't realize like organizations are doing so much in their marketing end. And when you're learning and doing it, it's very interesting to learn.
0: Uh, I guess on this. Okay, I'll bring up a little uh, you know, JD JDCC debate kind of topic. Yeah. want to bring up a counterpoint to that because how you were saying you were you know initially drawn to marketing and you know coming from a, a creative kind of background and creative considerations. So m- me as well. Like in my position, I came into university kind of initially drawn to marketing mm-hmm. and thinking that, you know, maybe that's what I want to do. But as I'm looking more and more, and as I, you know, take marketing, see more about what at least my perception of marketing is, I've heard people, you know, talk about that. Maybe they don't necessarily see the usage, which I I don't agree with. I think that it is crucial to business, but the only issue I take with marketing is to me personally, well, I apologize to anyone who's in marketing right now. Don't kill me.
2: Watch your stab.
0: But, uh, <laughs> yeah, watch my stab here. Um, to me, my only issue with it is it kind of comes across as manipulating people at its core and like saying, okay, we have a product at the end of the day, we're trying to make money. How can we use all this data on people to try and convince them to buy our product, which... To me, almost feels like like it's n- necessary, but feels a bit odd. I, I don't know what you'd have to say on that, but I just wanted to bring it up.
1: I think it definitely depends on the company you're working for. And maybe you're talking about a specific product or a specific organization. But for me, I think if you're a marketer and you're working for companies that are product-based, a lot of it is, yes, it is like finding data and being able to create marketing campaigns that are very focused on that. But the way I look at it is a, a little bit more on the other end, which is how am I able to get the products to the people that need them or want them, and being able to deliver that in a way that's useful for for society. And I think it's probably the positive spin of what you said. And I can see where some of those companies like kind of cross that gray area and don't necessarily do the best with their marketing. Um, but I haven't worked for a company like that, and I hopefully never will. I I don't like the idea of that and. I think there's a lot of ethics that are involved in business as well. So I think just making sure that you're working for a company that has good ethics and morals, especially when it comes to how you're approaching marketing is a big deal. But I would agree, like some companies definitely cross the line and don't agree with how they do marketing.
2: I know that digital marketing has become very um, popular nowadays, right? With, especially with COVID and things like that. Um, So besides obviously digital marketing, I know that, for example, you're uh, very avid in like, your social platforms and things like that to market different ideas. Um, for things like public speaking and things like that, did you ever take like a course or anything like that? Or was this just like continuous practice through case competitions or things like that? How was that?
1: I, I never took a course. I know York is a really good one that a lot of first and second years take. I forgot what it's called. Maybe acting for non-majors. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> that one's really popular. I've never really gotten over my fear of public speaking. I think people think that's shocking because I unfortunately had to do it a lot last year, but yeah. I, I hate it. It's so, it feels so nerve wracking whenever I do it. And it's something that I've just kind of pushed myself to do because in business, it's almost like a necessity to have to be able to articulate your ideas, whether it's a small group of people or a huge boardroom. So just comes with practice. Honestly, I think eventually, even if your nerves are there, you just end up getting past them.
2: Mm-hmm. so um also what are your thoughts on like uh, like new marketing trends when it comes to like big data and you know uh people i would say like oh i think of something and then i see it on my instagram feed the next day type of thing obviously there is like back end work behind it what are your thoughts on that do you think it's something that at this point we just kind of have to deal with or is this just something that is a little bit unethical from your standpoint
1: i think it's a little bit of both like, definitely, sometimes you'll see things that you just talked about with your friend, and you're like, that's super creepy, like, didn't expect that to happen. And that happens with all companies now, because that's just how, like, internet and marketing works in that sense. And I think on the flip side, it's it's good to know that products and services that I want exist, and if they're promoted to me, even though it's a very interesting way of being yeah. able to approach me. It's helpful, and I think that's what really AI and everything in technology, when it comes to marketing, is about: is making things more accessible for consumers. And so I think it goes back to the earlier question too: is how are companies doing it? Are they being ethical about it? And how are they using the data that they have? Because they're collecting so much, and they're able to utilize it for good or for bad. And really have to evaluate what companies you're purchasing from as a consumer. Um, but personally, I don't have huge issues with it. I know that privacy is a is a big deal to people, so I can see where. Where yeah. It's an issue, but for me, I'm I'm pretty okay with the way it's been working for now.
2: Okay, we'll see how that pans out, especially after yeah, we'll this whole months. this whole TikTok situation too. I don't know if this is like cool. <laughs> 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 this is super like uh, controversial, but yeah, uh, we'll see how that pans out in the future. So far, it seems like it's we've been using the data properly.
0: Yeah. So, just one question, I guess on another type of marketing trend that I want to like, I guess, pick your brain on is we have the trends with, you know, big data and everything and people being able to find a lot about you. But in terms of like social marketing trends, I know that generally, you know, what you were talking about, it, it, it does depend on how the companies are doing them. What's your opinion on like a lot of the trends you see right now with companies either A, putting a, We're in unprecedented times and like uh, putting COVID ads out to kind of appeal to everyone with people, you know, dancing at home, cooking at home and, (laughs) oh, by the way, look at our product or like uh, things that are going on, I guess, more like on the social issue side of companies mentioned, like uh, people joke about like how certain companies have changed their uh, flags or their logos only in the month of June for like uh, LGBT rights. And then July 1st hits and they're gone. Mm-hmm. And like very many companies are doing things like that, even with the current Black Lives Matter trend that's going on. What do you, what's your take on that? Like, how do you differentiate what is actually good and what is just, oh, we're still here guys, look at us. Yeah. Copy on the bandwagon type of
2: thing.
1: For sure. Um, yeah. just- answer the first part of the question so with COVID and like companies marketing in that times I think when it started and you know people were losing their jobs and money the economy everything was just in a struggle essentially companies being able to market and continuously push out their products it's not the best option but on a on a corporate side I can totally understand why companies like that feel the need to because they're also suffering and I think that's Kind of the sadness of all this is everyone's kind of in a very tough position on what they can and can't do. And sometimes it might cross a gray area because I mean those fam those companies have families to feed as well. They have employees that need money. And I think it just is an after effect of COVID and everything that's happened. So it's unfortunate. Don't really love it, but it's it's hundred percent something that I think they were forced into. When it comes to allyship of these issues that you spoke about and being a company that's for some of these issues and being very open about that. I love that companies do it, but you're right. There's a lot of actions out there that feel very performative. And for myself, I think when it comes to looking at what companies do, especially like you said, after July 1st, like are they still doing anything about these issues? Do they still care? Then comes with their actions. Um, I know some companies are very vocal about the charities that they support. Some of them are very vocal about the volunteer activities that they do. And that's very cool to see because then you know, their words match up to their actions as opposed to just here's a statement that you know everyone's doing so i must do it now too Mm. that's the biggest thing i've seen and because again back to covid and the pandemic a lot of companies haven't been able to show that true action and so i've been very very focused on making sure that the companies i'm supporting with my limited funds are also companies that are actually doing good in the world um which very hard to distinguish i wish that companies were more transparent but as we all know the corporate world does not work like that yeah
0: yeah so i guess we keep talking about quarantine and covid and everything that's going on we know that in april you did another podcast with create community about like what was going on with the whole quarantine and everything and your thoughts on it i guess two questions i had were one Now that, you know, April feels like a year ago at this point, (laughs) so now with, like, the developments and what's going on, like, has anything changed in your view about, you know, how quarantine's going for you? And then secondly, what's your kind of, I guess after that, what's your take on this? What do you think is, what parts of the society have we had that you think this quarantine is going to shake up permanently?
1: Good question. So the first one I think when I did that podcast in April, I was super optimistic. Not in the sense that I thought the pandemic was gonna end, but in the sense that, oh, I could get all my work done, everything's fine, it's just like different because I'm working from home. Now that it's almost August, I think a lot of my mindset has shifted because it's it's hard it's to be. August. Home with the time. Sorry? <laughs> oh it's August. It's almost August.
0: It's almost August. Yeah.
1: It's almost August. I think that's what's <laughs> scary, is time's flying by. Um, I haven't had the best time staying at home because I know things have opened up, but my family and I are very cautious about that stuff. I'm very strict on that as well. So I haven't been going out as much. And as a result, I think the way that I've been interacting with people has been so different and my mind's not taking it as well as I thought I was in April. So things have definitely been a little harder to deal with. And mental health is becoming more of a priority because I can't really work in the same space all the time. Um, so it's been harder. If that's a that's the answer to your question, unfortunately, it hasn't been the easiest. In terms of things that I think have been changed because of COVID, I mean, our economy is very much different. Uh, I don't know too much about everything going on, but you know, businesses are losing money. Um, some of my favorite restaurants are closing down. Like that's not happening just because people aren't coming. It's because they don't have money to continue operating. Um, and beyond that, I think just beyond the economy, I think social interactions. By the time we come back into school or work and everything's regular again, I think how people interact with one another is going to be very different. I think people that are growing up in this gener- uh, in this time frame who are just kind of getting used to everything in life is going to become very germaphobic or very focused on making sure that they're not catching any other diseases. And as a result, the way you interact with one another might be really different. So... A lot of elements there that I think will also change, but I won't know until you know everything goes back to normal. So for the mm-hmm. most part,
2: I know that you're a very avid player when it comes to uh, Animal Crossing, and when ah. it comes to
0: like kind of <laughs> this is a full 180. <laughs> yeah, it's like a full I love 180. Animal which... Crossing. What do you mean? <laughs> Let's shift the gears one more time to fourth gear. To <laughs> <laughs> so now full
2: speed, uh, Animal Crossing. When it comes to, I know that you have. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm not very familiar with the game itself um but you can have like parties and like all these different things in itself uh, i saw like your story about having an animal crossing party and i just wanted to see like like what's your take on that like i know how do you spend your time when it comes to quarantine and video games and things like that
1: yeah i think people think i'm absolutely nuts for like playing the game so much i have i'll be honest i haven't played in the last couple of weeks i've gone really busy but animal crossing was a game i grew up when i was a kid so this is like the new edition for the Switch, but I've always had it since I was like 10. And there's been so many versions since. So anyone that's growing up with it beforehand will know the the amazing things that come with the game. But everyone that only learned about it now is like, why are you so into this game where animals just talk to each other? It's like weird. <laughs> um, so I know that that for sure is the conversation topic. But I have loved playing video games a little bit more just because it takes my mind off of work and school and it gives me a break from stuff because when you're at home and your computer's right here, my office is basically my bedroom. It means that I'm working a lot more and not understanding when to take a break. Whereas video games kind of give me that mental lapse to be like, okay, now I'm not working and then I can get back. And it's been really good to have a balance like that because it's almost as if I was at Shulig going to school and then going out for lunch with my friends and then coming back. There's like a little bit of a gap and it helps me separate things a little bit better. So it's been fun and I think really helpful for my mental health.
0: What else do you play, if, if not just Animal Crossing?
1: I'm a avid Tetris player. I spent, when I bought my Switch, I spent 40 hours. <laughs> I love Tetris.
2: Any other games besides Tetris on the Switch or just?
1: Not on the Switch, but I, okay, I play very like cringy games. I play Stardew Valley on my computer you okay. know what that is it's like a farming yeah. game
0: <laughs> I've and a heard lot of, of
1: Jackbox a lot of Jackbox I don't know if you guys play yeah. those are yeah.
0: good
1: those are really good. a quick flash yeah
0: yeah i with with Zeus. I've won trivia every time I'm sorry but I'm I a don't, t- fact god. Check. God. don't fact check
2: that <laughs> I am a TKO god just so everybody
1: knows <laughs> these are amazing games I think they're good for for team building and just yeah. it's just fun because you don't have to feel like you're playing games alone It's it's a good time for sure
0: Jackbox is good for team building?
1: Yeah, I've been I don't know about that. 100%, 100%. And, and the reason I say that too is even if it wasn't for the pandemic, my Cavs team is all across Canada. So when we play together, it's like our one time to be social. Otherwise, it's like it's not happening, you know?
0: One of the things that I want to bring up that I know I absolutely cannot and it infuriates me to this day since hearing it at the start of the winter semester is Jesus told me about your uh, typing speed. I knew it. I was like, and, um, <laughs> I <know. laughs> she was waiting. She wasn't sipping super- her drink. She was like, I was like "What's happening?" Yeah. <laughs> you know I'm gonna bring it up. So Jesus told me about it in the winter semester, and uh, I spent too much time in class and uh, outside of class typing, 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 doing my doing my stuff. <laughs> I went from 90 words per minute to 120. That's really as good. a peak, and I still. How the hell do you have 140 <laughs> words per minute, bro? That's so Are you crazy. on crack?
1: I I love <laughs> typing. Let me let me set the record straight. The reason I got really into typing is cuz as a kid, I feel like in computer class, that was a thing, right? We you had to go to the computer lab and yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. All I did was the typing thing. They would teach you how to like it's not even words. You're just typing letters, and I remember doing that my entire childhood. And so when I went into high school, I was just like now I can type faster cuz I like spent my life on that computer playing typing games. Oh. So I've been yeah, was... trained. I've been trained. Were you 140
0: in high school? She was no, like No, I was I was a lot lower. Out. A lot lower. <laughs> oh my god.
1: Maybe around like what your speed is now. But
0: Oh damn. That's, a, <laughs> that's such a diss. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, this the is baby off. stuff. The what the you doing right now? <laughs>
1: uh,
0: Are you consistently at that cuz I'll t- I'll be honest. I can hit like I think consistently 100, 110. But, like, peak record, you know, when I was at the height of my career, I was warmed up, stretched everything, I hit 120. Are you consistently at 140?
1: No, if I was on an average, probably like 125. Oh, my gosh.
0: Still, still, bro. Bro, I, I was in, that. like, the, the flow state, and I was, like, <laughs> achieving higher consciousness when I hit 120. That bro, was like, I was, like... A celestial being levitating.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Practice. Maybe in three years you'll be like also on my level.
0: In three years, I'm hitting 150. (laughs) Easy. There's no I'm gonna I'm gonna message you in three years and I'm gonna
1: wait. I'm waiting.
0: But also, I I think I just have to disclose for like people listening, I may be worse than Anika, but I'm still 96th percentile. So I don't know. I'm That's
2: just saying, about- i just saying, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now that we're talking about like the flow state and just like getting in the zone and things like that, I know that in my case, um, usually music kind of helps to that mm. to kind of just get into like the zone and maybe I'm typing up a paper or something like that. And I know that you're a black bear, a big black bear fan and posting about it on many occasions. So what are some other artists that you're like into as you study or things like that, or maybe different shades when you're like working out or things like that?
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to music for studying, it's hard because I get really distracted by like singing and all of a sudden I'm dancing and I didn't study. So I try to avoid <laughs> a lot of, um, you know, pop music, maybe more instrumental or lo fi beats. Oh, lo fi beats. Yeah, Great. I really like, but in terms of artists that I like besides Black Bear, Pink Sweats is good if you if you've listened but
0: i, have I don't really have
1: i'm listening to whatever's on the radio or whatever's on tiktok i'm not like a very yeah, yeah like you can't ask me for a spotify playlist i don't have yeah. one like i have other people <laughs> yeah. for me
0: she's Sorry. like most girls not like me i have more yeah. i i got unique <laughs> music tastes as you see see that <laughs> So this might be a good time to plug uh
2: sub us uh lo-fi beats playlist. Yeah,
0: if anyone listening wants to study and enjoys lo-fi, follow me on uh Spotify. I have a playlist that is 135 hours of lo-fi music. At stanescu 60. 6,969 songs. <laughs> so you have quite a quite a selection there. Never run that other than that i guess on a, a light note we wanted to bring up your uh your twitter because <laughs> we were uh, looking for uh things <laughs> to talk about on this podcast and we we went to uh what was it september 2016 we went all the way back and we tried <laughs> so to, like, like, when did she start like, that's, <laughs> just- <laughs> that's supposedly
1: this is a lot of research. I can't believe it. I'm kind of impressed. <laughs> so, I mean, fine. a few of the things bring
0: up. Mm-hmm.
1: Am I embarrassing?
0: For, for who?
1: On Twitter. Like, have I tweeted stuff that's weird? Like, what are we exposing here? I'm kind of nervous. We'll
0: leave that up to the crowd. I just wanted to bring up a <laughs> few of the, <laughs> a few of the uh, funnier ones, and then I guess one that i actually have a question on just a okay. few i wanted to point out I, I i don't have date stamps for this but one mercury a hundred percent in retrograde are you <laughs> a big believer in horoscopes
1: people just say that so i'm like let me be also relevant okay. <laughs> okay.
0: what what sign do you think me and Zeus are
1: like your horoscope signs
2: yeah just based on our personalities
1: I have, n- I have no idea because I don't understand that stuff. Like you know how people blame stuff on Mercury retrograde, and it's like, oh, I'm having a bad yes. week. It has to be that. that's what I do because I don't want to blame myself. I'm gonna be like, yeah, that's the reason I'm. <laughs> <having> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> so you know, I'm such a Sagittarius. What?
1: That's oh, is that your horoscope?
2: No,
0: I don't know. <laughs> what are you, Zeus, bro? I, I don't, don't know. know. What I know. was I gonna I guess?
1: You don't even know the answer. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm a March baby. That's all I know. The next few I wanted to bring up were, uh, one, I want to eat my weight in cheesecake.
1: No one liked that tweet, by the way. It's just me.
0: Two, uh, hi, my name's Anika, and I am addicted to Millie rocking. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) that was... I'll give you the, I don't know if I should say when this was, because it would be nicer if it was an older tweet, but it was in, I think it was in 2020. Or like late
1: 2020. That was recent,
0: like it had to have yeah. been this year. And then just two hours before this podcast was recorded, <laughs> pop <Paw> control. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> There was like
1: a news article about Paw Patrol. It was a thing.
2: So, what you just said, Paw Patrol? <laughs> just Paw Patrol. Yes. Simple and sweet. You know but, when I'm, you
1: tweet things and you don't expect people to ask you about them on a podcast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, we cut out the list from like ten to five. We had a few more, but we had yeah, we had like a.
1: I like that we had mercy. Oh.
0: Okay, so the last one that we have that I guess is an actual question is we saw you retweeted something from um, someone who said, and I quote, I've recently become obsessed with all the insane corporate ways we say normal things to each other. I'm a little confused is by far my favorite. It's absolute rage masked as a professional pleasantry. What are some of your best most slash most insufferable work gibberish phrases? So just want to ask, now that you're in the... uh, corporate world and you've done all these positions what are some of the garbage professional pleasantries do you find funny
1: that's a okay that's a good question and i just wanted to ask did i retweet this like a year ago because i don't remember this
0: i don't know anymore because yeah. we were scrolling we were for like s- like four. deep <laughs> like we were scrolling for a whole hour trying to find <laughs>
1: This is funny, um, I don't know if this counts as gibberish, but when people use cheers to end off their emails, I'm like, what is that? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you celebrating? I hate that so much. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's <laughs> any ones that come to mind. Do you folks have any?
0: I think. What was the one we had written down, I hope this email finds you well. I hope this even finds you well, oh man.
1: You know, I think the reason I don't have any anymore is because I use those now. <laughs> so I can't, I can't be like, oh, I hate that. I'm using those in emails.
0: Also, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you get the notification, but me, we were on your LinkedIn like five times in the last two days. <laughs> so I, I was worried, like, I didn't know how to switch to like private mode so people can see you. Because I felt like we're just going to show up, guests are going to see it, like, oh, these two people have seen your LinkedIn 10 times in the last four hours.
1: <laughs> I, did, I did see some of that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, Zeus, we're going on private mode next time.
2: Okay, let's do it. I know that, you know, all of the positions that you've been in uh, have brought many valuable lessons. I know that for a fact. I know that everything that you've done has had some sort of a, a greater purpose to it from what you've talked about how, the way to choose any organization that you work at has to have some sort of actual meaningful value to it. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what are some of the lessons that you've learned when it comes to being a leader in these positions and maybe dealing with so many unexpected, unexpected events or unexpected situations, such as even this one, uh, COVID?
1: I think the biggest thing is learning my self-capabilities. And I think everyone likes to put themselves in a box of where are my skills, what are my experiences, what are things that I can do? And, sometimes it's really scary to leave that box because you know what you're comfortable with and you know exactly when you leave it, it's going to be a little risky. Um, But my biggest lessons in life have been trying something new and putting myself in positions where I know I'm a little uncomfortable, but I'm also 100% gaining some new value, new experiences, skills, things of that nature. So I think the biggest thing is just like everything that you do in life, make sure there's a reason and there's some sort of character progression is how I like to view it because that's what I've taken away from everything that I've done so far.
0: I guess we can close off with the question. What is your, I know you've talked a lot about, you know, right, even right now, stepping outside your comfort zone, don't put yourself in a box, expand your skills, but you also talk about, you know, balancing that with your mental health and taking care of yourself, especially during quarantine. What's the biggest piece of advice that you could give to, you know, current students or anyone listening about balancing those two and making sure that you're still staying sane?
1: Yeah, I think just to to start off, we go to a school where everyone's almost like pressured to do a million things and do them exceptionally well. And I think the people that you look up to, especially those that have graduated that have done a lot of stuff, you'll notice that they there's a reason that they were able to to get to that level and it's not by doing a million things and like burning themselves out in the beginning. And at some point, whether people like it or not, you have to start prioritizing yourself. And for example, things like saying no to people about projects that you want to be a part of or prioritizing specific things so that you're able to focus on one or two things instead of like 4 million projects. Um, Or even just making sure that you're taking time to rest. Because I personally love to just go, go, go and like not think about what I need for myself. And then I'll burn out in a month and be like, okay, I really needed time for myself. I really needed to not be on my laptop every day. Um, and at some point you're almost forced to think about yourself. So definitely understand that your mental health, self-caring, all those buzzwords, they're not just there so that people can understand like, oh, there's a balance in life. Like you actively have to put it in. So if you're someone who struggles with that, schedule that in, make it a part of your agenda so that you're actively doing stuff that's good for your mental mind instead of just your career or your academic life.
2: Wow. Um. I feel like advice like this one is so uh, like oftentimes overlooked and just kind of, I, I mean, hearing it from someone that I, I don't want to like, you know, like toot your home too much, but like, you know, someone that has achieved a lot um, in like during the times of Shulek as well as uh, prior to that, it, like it kind of gives it a sense of humanity to all of this. right? And that's kind of like the, the whole point of this uh, podcast in a way is to show that we're not like robots or we're not, obviously just trying to achieve, 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 and that's it. But obviously we have to rest and we have to take care of ourselves. And there's so much more going on behind the scenes before, you know, we get to that accolade that, you know, we wanted to achieve for such a long time, right? And that's 100%. That's
1: and you'll, you'll see so many people that are alumni that feel like their lives are together, but they've also had to go through some really tough mental health journeys to get there because sometimes you don't know how to prioritize yourself. And by the time you learn, like, then you know you have to actively put that in because it's not it's not helpful to yourself to just be doing projects all the time um that, that that's just the truth
0: yeah so you can have all these accolades you can take all these positions but you can also play animal crossing and have a uh, have a twitter account exactly, exactly. you've got it and you Amen. can love Millie rocking
1: i'm not good at it though so we're gonna pretend like i didn't actually love it (laughs) it's fine Again, you don't
0: have to say that that. they're not gonna know you're right we'll take your word for it (laughs) (laughs) miss millie rocker i'd like to thank you for coming out and talking to us today i really enjoyed the conversation i know it went a bit long today but i don't know i felt like it it yeah thank you
1: no this was really fun thanks so much for having me i think this is such a great initiative, like I said, and I think it's going to bring out a lot of great conversations, especially during these unprecedented times.
2: Thank you. All right, from all of us here in the podcast, we wish you a good day or good night or wherever it is, are you listening?